He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. It just felt appropriate. I don't know. You may be seated. The Reformation brought about a sea change throughout the world whose ripples are still being felt to this very day. 505 years ago, tomorrow, a young Augustinian monk by the name of Martin Luther went and posted his 95 theses against the sale of indulgences on the Wittenberg church door. And thus was set into motion the events that would become the international movement that we have come to know as the Reformation. The Reformation, not the revolution, but the Reformation, a reform within the church Catholic, a recovery of the gospel, the right understanding of how God saves sinners like you and me freely and fully by his grace alone. This was a sea change throughout the world, throughout society, and every sector felt that profound transformation. Of course, within the the realm of faith and religion, undeniably, but also in education and in politics and in the arts. So go ahead and Open up your worship folder. I should say, look at the the cover of it. As I said at the opening of the service, yes, there are several naked people on here. But it's nothing untoward here, right? The artist of this painting was a guy by the name of Lucas Cronach. And Lucas Cronach was one of these men who was so profoundly touched by the message of the gospel that it unleashed itself in his artistic work as well. And what you have here is one of his paintings, which was called simply Law and Gospel. And much of the insights that I'm going to share with you this morning, I have to give credit where credit is due, to my friend, the Reverend Dr. Matt Rosebrock, who did his dissertation in Reformation art and has some really keen insights, not just to the painting, but also to the the theological interpretation of it. But what's so profound about this painting is the way that it captures the essence of the Reformation message. Which, if I could encapsulate it, you might think of it like this. Medieval Christianity had come to be a kind of spiritual cyclops. Sort of spiritual cyclops. And what do I mean by that? It was just one had a univision. And with that single vision, all it could see was the law. In other words, what you and I are supposed to be doing. That by our doing, by our activity, perhaps we can climb that ladder up to heaven. Perhaps we can make ourselves acceptable to God. This was the vision that had prevailed throughout medieval Christianity, a kind of univision, spiritual cyclops. Well, what the Reformation helped to recapture is the binocular vision of law and gospel. See, with this binocular vision, with these two eyes, this two sight, we're able to see both God's work of law and his word of law, which gives us his commands and tells us how we are to live. It's his will for us as his people. But also, and at the same time, his gospel, the good news, not just what we must do, but what Christ has done for you and me. The law says do. The gospel says done. As followers of Jesus We need this binocular vision, and this is what the Reformation helped to recapture and to recover. And Lucas Cronach wanted to convey this in art, thus the painting you have before you this morning. 
And so what I'd like to do is to take some time meditating and contemplating on this work of art in collaboration with God's Word so that you and I might better understand and appreciate why this teaching of law and gospel was so vital then and why it's so vital for us today so that we might see Christ clearly. Because the Reformation brought about not only a sea change, a profound transformation, but also a sea change, S-E-E, this binocular vision of law and gospel. So go ahead and pull that out. Let's turn to the painting. And I want to first direct your attention to the lower left corner of the left panel. And you'll notice that the, the artist has pretty neatly divided it into the two panels, the law on the left side and the gospel on the right side. So first, we notice our poor naked friend in the lower left corner. We can call him Helpless Harry, or perhaps Helpless Hairless, I don't know. Why is Harry so helpless? Why is it that he's on the run? What's his problem? Well, to start with, go to the lower right corner of that left panel, and you'll see a dude in a fancy getup with a beard there, and he's holding two tablets. This is, in all likelihood, who? Moses, right? This is Moses holding the two tablets of the Ten Commandments. Moses, of course, is the, the figure of the law, and he's surrounded by the prophets as well. Moses and the law announce to you and me what God would have us do. As we heard in the reading from Romans, as Paul said to us, what does the law do? The law opens our minds and awakens, it creates a knowledge of sin. See, now helpless Harry has a recognition, a realization of the ways that he has fallen short of God's law. To hear the perfect standard of your Lord is immediately to recognize that you and I don't live up to that standard. When you have that knowledge of sin, you can't help but start to flee. And it gets worse. As you notice to our left, Moses is right. You've got a couple of guys there. If you're looking for any last minute Halloween costumes, here's some ideas. First, you've got the skeleton, who of course is symbolic of death. And next to him, his good buddy, the devil. Now, why are they together? Because both death and the devil weaponize our knowledge of sin and use it to prick your conscience, to prod your spirit, and to push you forward toward the flames of hell. This is what the scripture shows us, that with that knowledge of sin, now Satan is able to accuse you and me, to bring it back to our mind and to our remembrance of all the ways that you have failed. Satan always wants to say to you, wait a second, I thought you were... A Christian, a real Christian, the kind of person who even shows up on Reformation Day, perhaps even wearing red. And yet, you do such despicable things. You say such despicable things. How could you? Are you a real believer? In this way, the devil weaponizes our knowledge of sin, our own innate realization of the ways that we've fallen short of God's will in our lives. And meanwhile, he holds us, as it says in Hebrews chapter 2, Satan holds us in slavery to the fear of death. And so you have that skeleton there who's pricking the conscience and prodding us on, and helpless Harry can't help but be driven on, living in mortal fear of his mortality, of a recognition that one day he is going to face the grave. And by rights, if he looks in all honest sincerity toward his own heart, his own righteousness, it's failing. It's failing across the board. And so what else can he do but flee? 
And friends, if that weren't bad enough, it gets much worse yet. To whom shall he flee? Well, by the strictures of the law, if he looks to the Lord Jesus, where can he be found? See, according to the law, Jesus is distant. Do you see him? In toward the, the top of the painting, just that small figure there up on the top. And he's atop the rainbow, which symbolizes God's judgment. And if you could look real closely with a magnifying glass, you would see that he's holding in his left hand a sword. See, when we look at Jesus only through the lens of the law, you and I can only encounter him as a judge, as the one who reminds you and me of how we have failed him, of how we have not lived up to his perfect standards, of how, as his disciples, we have not followed him as we ought. When you look to Jesus through the lens of the law, he is distant and he is grave. And so we have helpless Harry. Naked, yes, because he is stripped of all of his defenses. When he comes before God, when he comes before the Lord who is the judge, he comes with nothing. He has no explanation. Indeed, as Paul said in the Romans reading, through the law, every mouth is stopped. When he screams out and cries out, he has no defense. Helpless Harry is not able to say, well, well see, if you just had this understanding, and this is what we always want to do in the face of the law, we want to give some kind of excuse Offer God some context that he didn't know about, right? Oh, God, you got to understand, I was having a bad day. I was kind of grumpy. I didn't get my nap. That's where the sin came from. And God's like, oh, you didn't get a nap. Okay, then I totally just will turn a blind eye to it. Is that enough? Is that going to do it? Through the lens of the law, you and I can't help but be helpless, hairy, fleeing from the devil fleeing from death and on the highway to Hades, making our way there. So then where can help be found? This is where the law leaves us, on the highway to Hades, helpless and harassed without one plea. Where can help be found? This is why God has given to us the gift of the gospel. This is why God has given to us the gift of his son. So turn your eye now to the right panel of the painting. And as you do, maybe you would notice one last time our friend Moses down there pointing. And as he is pointing, he's pointing to the, the tablets of the law, yes, but he's also pointing beyond those tablets. See, the law was not meant to be an end in itself. It was not meant to be an engine of justification for you and for me, but instead the law points beyond itself. But now, Paul says, but now a righteousness has been revealed apart from the law. Although the, the law and the prophets bear witness and testify to it. The righteousness of God that depends on faith. So Moses points over to the right panel, and there we have John the Baptist, who also is pointing. He's got an even better point to make. Because who is he pointing toward? He's pointing toward the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You notice in the bottom right-hand corner, there is the Lamb. We have Jesus three times over on the right side of this panel. There is Jesus as the Lamb. There he is on the cross. And there he is, the risen, ascended Lord for you and for me. 
This is now where we need to look because the law gives us the cookies, but it doesn't offer us the milk. We need the milk of the gospel. The law can point forward, but only can the gospel point toward your Savior, Christ Jesus. There he is, the Lamb of God. And I want you to notice a couple of things here. First of all, you might see, if you were able to look real closely, the stream of blood emitting from the side of our Savior. It's kind of gross, I'm not going to lie to you. But if you could look closely, you would see that stream of blood, and it visually kind of echoes the same uh, uh, angle of the spear that death is holding. Because that same spear that would prick and prod the sinner has now pierced your Savior for you and me. The thing that was used as the gravest evil has now become the liberating good. Satan jangles those keys of how you and I are in slavery to the fear of death, but Christ Jesus has come to set you and me free. Now you see that empty tomb. Now you see that empty sarcophagus. Christ is the one who holds the keys, who has opened the door. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Amen? This is what Jesus has come to do. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And if sin is taken away, if death is defeated, now look to that lower right corner beneath the feet of the Lamb who looks so meek and yet is so powerful. For the Lamb who was slain has begun his reign. I love this. Look underneath it there. First of all, you notice the devil there with his serpentine tail promised already back in Genesis chapter 3 that the one, the seed of Eve, has come to crush the serpent's head. And now look at the, the face of the serpent. He looks like my dog Theo when he knows he's in trouble, right? That's Satan now. He knows that his days are numbered, that he is now under the foot of our Lord Jesus. And not only that, but beside him is the skeleton, that symbol of death and the grave. And not only that, but his spear has been confiscated. No longer does it cause you and I to fear, but as St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, where, O death, is your sting? Literally, your spear. Where, O grave, is your victory? But now there is no victory for death in the grave because Christ Jesus has that victory. Now the Lamb has confiscated that spear and uses it for his standard, waving the flag. His banner over you is love, victorious love, triumphant love that is stronger than the grave. And so we look once again to our friend, helpless Harry, is now helped Harry. And I would also point out he's not hairless anymore, but he's got a beard. I asked Dr. Rosebrock, what's up with that? Why does he suddenly grow a beard between one and the other? He said, we can't say for certain, but scholars conjecture that during the, before the Reformation, the monastics imposed razors on all of the monks. You had to keep it nice and clean. And so beards, for all of us guys rocking the beards, became a sign and a symbol of Christian freedom. Jesus has set us free. Throw away your razors. <laughs> Be that as it may. Much more importantly, he is no longer standing atop the barren ground of the law, but instead the green verdant grass of grace. And now you see his hands cupped in that posture of receptivity. Martin Luther says that this is the essence of faith. Faith is simply the empty hands that receive the good gifts of God. 
So now here he is, helped Harry in that posture of peace with empty, open hands, receiving the good gifts and grace of God. That's you and I, friends. That's us when we come to the Lord's table today with empty, open hands, receiving the promise of God given to you in, with, and under the bread and wine, which is the body and blood of your Lord Jesus. You are helped and hairy, hairy. You guys know what the most important part of having binocular vision is? It's being able to have depth perception. I'm just gonna keep doing this so you get the point. <laughs> so that we would have depth perception. See, if we were all cyclopses, we'd be running into walls all the time. We'd only be able to see in two dimensions, but because God has given us this binocular vision, now we're able to see in depth, to tell what's near and what's far, what takes preeminence. We're able to see what really matters, to clear out all of the clutter. Notice how the artist has also done this for us with this binocular vision, this sea change in the painting. He shows it to us in three ways. First of all, while in the law, the Lord Jesus is distant and far away, in the gospel, he is near to us, right there, preeminent and prominent, three times over, you can't miss him. Not only that, but if you could see that spurt and stream of blood from his side, not only is it streaming out, but it is spattering right on helped Harry's face. Again, kind of gross, kind of grotesque, but what the artist is conveying there is that now all of those things that had come between God and his people, between Christ and man, now all of that has been cleared out of the way. Now Christ is able to come to you and me immediately through his gifts. Now you are able to receive that application of his love right into your hands, right onto your mouth, with the water poured upon you, with his word in your heart, near you, Christ for you. And that's the third and final thing the artist shows. If you look so closely, see the gaze of your risen Lord Jesus. Because he's looking out at you and me. As if to say with his very eyes, I have done this for you. For you. Even though we are believers, even though we are devout followers of our Lord Jesus, you and I still have those days every day where you feel like helpless Harry, with your hair on fire, fleeing from your sin, fleeing perhaps from fear of the grave. Christ Jesus has come to quiet the devil's mouth. No longer do his accusations ring true against you because you are righteous and free in him, in Christ. And with this binocular vision of law and gospel, all of our sin that clouded our vision has been taken away. We are able to see Jesus in true focus. And now, though once you and I were lost, now we are found by God's amazing grace. We once were blind, but now we see. Amen. And may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand for prayer.